the devil not only has been already defeated, but Jesus Christ already defeated Satan, and Jesus Christ already got the victory. So we don't have to be afraid of Satan any longer. Because Jesus Christ has won the battle once and for all for each one of us here. Welcome to Somebody Loves You Radio, the Bible teaching ministry of Raul Reese in Diamond Bar, California. Continuing our Christmas series celebrating God's gracious love, Raul will outline the powerful message of mercy found in Jesus' ancestral history. Stay with us for a faith-building look at Christ's genealogy and the beautiful redemption stories that underscore His identity as the world's Savior. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, here's Raul Reese with the lesson, Jesus the Savior. A lot of times, a lot of people, when they begin to read the Bible, especially the New Testament, they become very discouraged, especially if they're new believers. And the reason is because when you start reading the first 17 verses of the Gospel of Matthew, it's just a bunch of names that mean nothing to the Gentile people. But to the Jews, names were important, especially in the genealogies of Christ. Among the Jews, they would never, ever write women's names. Never would you find a woman's name in a genealogy. And here in the Gospel of Matthew, you find four women's names, which is really interesting. And it's neat because what God is doing is developing in showing us His love, His grace, and His mercy. And they're not really good women. These women that are inserted here by the Holy Spirit, the first one in chapter 1 verse 3 is Tamar. The second one is Rahab. The third one is Ruth. And the last one is called the wife of Uriah, which was Bathsheba, the one that committed adultery with David. And when you look at the life of these women... It's interesting because uh, Tamar was a Canaanite. And the Canaanites were very um, aggressive people. But more they were idolaters. And they were always involved in great and incredible sexual practices. That they actually worshipped the goddess of sex. And here's a woman by the name of Tamar. And she's the one that seduced Judah. And she played the whore. Remember that? And then, of course, he found out that this was his uh, daughter-in-law. And uh, when they gave the signet, the ring. And the whole thing, again, is a picture of God's grace and God's love and God's mercy. The second one was Rahab. And she was a prostitute in the city of Jericho. And she helped the children of Israel, as they were actually put in the upstairs room, and she protected them. And then on their way back, she was protected divinely by redemption, and uh, she was not killed, her and her family, and she came in the genealogies of Jesus Christ too. She, next one is Ruth, and she was a Moabite. Remember the Moabites in the time of Lot, when Lot got his daughters pregnant, one of the sons was called Moab. 
the Moabites, and they were actually cursed by the law of God. And yet Ruth became the grandmother of David. Interesting. In the Old Testament. And then of course the last one was Bathsheba or the wife of Uriah. And Uriah was not a Jew. But David in his conquest as he was in the battle. David probably about 54 years old. Had decided to pull himself out of the battle. He came home to his kingdom. And in his reign he was actually taking an R&R. Not as God commanded, but he did it in his own. And when he came home, one day he was outside in his balcony and he was actually getting fresh air and looking over the city of Jerusalem. And as he was looking over the city of Jerusalem, he looked downward. And in Jerusalem, the homes in that culture were flat roofs. And it just happened that at that moment, Bathsheba was taking a bath. And he looked at her and she was beautiful. And David, in looking at this beautiful woman, not only began to lust after her, but began to desire her. And he went back in and he said, hey, whose wife is this that I see down below me? And it said, that's Uriah's wife and he is fighting in your army. And so he said, go ahead and go get her for me. Call her up to my room. And so they actually brought Bathsheba in. And Bathsheba uh, was seduced by David and she went to bed with David. And then after David was through with her, he sent her home. And then a couple of weeks later, Bathsheba came to the king and sent a note to the king and said, David, I'm with child. And David freaked out. He couldn't believe it because according to the law, adultery was penalized by stoning to death. He was the king of Israel. And what's really amazing is that when you look at David's life, David immediately in his mind began to reflect and began to compromise in his own life. And I believe that the devil came to him directly and began to feed his mind. Because David didn't know what to do. Knowing that now Bathsheba is going to have a child. So as David begins to think about what he's going to do, Immediately Satan puts a thought in his mind. And the first thought in his mind is that he's going to do what? He's going to bring Uriah home from the battle. He's going to throw him a little party. He's going to get him a little bit drunk. And then he's going to send him home. And he's going to sleep with his wife. And then he can say, congratulations Uriah. You are going to be a father. Man, it is so good to see that. And then David would be clean. And nobody would ever find out that he committed adultery. And that he was going to have a child. But you see, God, in His love, in His grace, in His mercies, never ever allows us to get away with sin. You can try to hide it. You can try to run from it. You can try to do whatever you want. But if you don't truly repent, your sin will find you out. And what's amazing is that as David called Uriah, Uriah came home. And David gave him a little party and they ate and they drank. And then on his way home, remember what happened? He literally saw his men outside. Remember, well first of all, he was on his way home and he was a little bit too drunk. And he passed out before he got home. 
And so the next morning, David got up and he was feeling pretty good, you know, and thinking, man, Uriah last night went home and he was with his wife and now I can blame it on him and I'm scot-free. And they came and told him that Uriah was passed out and never made it home. And so David got upset and said, man, what am I going to do now? And so David thought about it again and here comes Satan again. He said, well, why don't you go ahead and throw him another party? Except this time, you know, when you get him a little tipsy and you eat and you drink, make sure you lead him to his house so he doesn't pass out. But as the party went on and he was getting ready to go home, on his way home, he looked over and he saw his men that they were not going home to their wives. So Uriah decided to sleep with his men outside of the city. And the next morning David got up and he was so excited and thought, Man, I'm away with sin. I made it. I'm so clean now. And nothing's going to happen to me now. And then they came in and told him that Uriah was sleeping with his men. And David freaked out. He couldn't believe it. And so now, you know, David's sitting there and saying, Man, what am I going to do now? For sure now people are going to find out what I've done. What am I going to do? And of course Satan once again comes along and says, Hey, I got the deal for you, David. Why don't you sit down today and write a little letter? And in this letter, write a letter to your cousin that's out there in the battle. And why don't you go ahead and have Uriah carry the letter once it's sealed by the king's seal. He'll carry it to the battle. As David sat down to write the letter, he wrote in the letter, he said... My cousin, I want you to take Uriah and I want you to put him in the front lines. And then I want you to withdraw yourself and have him killed. Now it's murder. It was adultery, but now it's murder. And as David's cousin, the general was standing there and watching Uriah as Uriah was carrying his own death warrant. And the respect that he had for David, he could have picked him and kind of read the note, but he didn't do it. It was sealed. He took it, gave it to him. They took Uriah to the front of the line. He was killed. And then David's cousin wrote back the letter and said, hey, mission accomplished. Here it is. Uriah now is dead. And David said, wow, man, he's dead now. Nobody will find it. I know what I'll do. I'll call for Bathsheba now and she can become my wife and it can be my child because she is my wife and I can say now I'm married to her and now she's pregnant. Thinking he could still get away with his sin. And he did for a while. All of a sudden the baby came forth and the child was sick and the child died. And David stood there, and David, knowing that his child was dead, did not repent. But he got up, he washed his face, and he got something to eat. And then he went on his way, and later on, he got his wife pregnant again, and that's when Solomon was born. This is Somebody Loves You Radio with Raul Reese. 
Visit us on our social media platforms or call us at 800-634-9165. You'll also find us at somebodylovesyou.com. And be sure to download our free app for convenient access to a variety of Bible-based resources. Now, let's rejoin Rolf for the conclusion of today's message. Before Solomon was born, the Bible says about a year later, as David was living in sin, God raised up the prophet Nathan that came to David. And in 2 Samuel chapter 12, you can read it when you go home. You have the story where Nathan comes in before the king and he says, Oh king, I got to tell you something. There was a rich man and a poor man that lived next door to each other. And the rich man had a bunch of little hue lamps and he was always throwing parties. But he never liked killing his lamps. But then his neighbor had one hue lamp and it was like a puppy dog to him. He loved him. It was his pet little animal. And this rich man became greedy. And one day he rose up and had a party. And he went over next door. He forced himself into the house. He took the little hue lamp. He killed it and filleted it and bled it and barbecued it and gave it to his guest. And David got angry. And Nathan the prophet said, what would you do to such a man? And David said, that man deserves to die. And Nathan said, you are that man. You took a man's wife. You committed adultery with her. You killed her husband and you murdered him. And David, here you are a whole year, almost a year and a half. And you continue to live your life without true repentance. And not really coming to the throne of grace. And all of a sudden, David realized that he had sinned against God. And that this sin that he had committed against God was a great sin. David repented. And the Bible says that David had a heart after God's own heart. And this is why David wrote Psalm 32, Psalm 37, Psalm 51. To let you know. How hard sin was in his life. And that sin is an ugly thing in the life of a believer. Especially sin grieves the Holy Spirit of God. And that's why when David is praying in Psalm 51. Not only he says create a new heart in my life God. But he said do not take away your Holy Spirit from me. I think one of the most ugliest things that can happen to a child of God would be for the Holy Spirit to depart from the life of a believer and not to be convicted ever again. Imagine that. Never ever to feel the presence of God in my life because of sin. How I thank God for the Holy Spirit. And I thank God that the Holy Spirit has been sent by the Lord Jesus Christ to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, according to the Gospel of John 16, 7 through 11. Where the Gospel of John tells us that He came to convict the world of sin because they do not believe in Jesus Christ. And of righteousness, because by faith, by me trusting and believing in Jesus Christ, I can be forgiven and I can have eternal life. But then also he says of sin and of righteousness. And then he talks about the devil. How the devil not only has been already defeated. 
But Jesus Christ already defeated Satan. And Jesus Christ already got the victory. So we don't have to be afraid of Satan any longer. Because Jesus Christ has won the battle once and for all. For each one of us here. So now that you have a clear picture on the genealogies of Jesus Christ. And what Christ came to do. Now you come to the 18th verse of chapter 1. Of the book of Matthew. And now we have the supernatural conception and birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now to put to rest any question or false accusations against the virtue of Mary. Or the nature of the origin of Christ. Matthew. Matthew the disciple of Christ. Explicitly describes the relationship here between Mary And Joseph, so there's no confusion. Joseph was legally engaged to Mary, and it is described here as her husband. And I'll tell you a little bit more just in a moment. In chapter 1, verse 16, it says, And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who's called the Messiah, or the Anointed One of God. You see, the title given to him of Christ. Now in this engagement, it was a legal engagement equivalent to marriage. That the relationship could only be broken by divorce or by death. Now because we are Westerners, we really don't understand sometimes the Eastern culture. In that Eastern culture, the way they would do it is that when you were actually, uh, let's say that you're my neighbor and you're going to have a little girl and I'm going to have a little boy. Then I would come over to your house and we would sit down and uh, we would have a little bit of coffee or tea, whatever it would be. And we would sit and we would chat and then we would talk about your little girl and my son. And we would come to an agreement as parents that your little girl is going to marry my son. And so from birth, we would have the first engagement between my little girl And your little boy. Now as the little boy and the little girl were born. By the time they would reach 17 years old. Right before 18 years old. You would have the second engagement. And the second engagement would actually free you. At this point. From getting truly married to this young man or this woman. They would give you a whole year of trial to think about it. Now, do I really want to marry her? Now, do I really love her? Is she cute or is she ugly? You see what I'm saying? In that year of trial, as I was making up my mind, then I would come and say, you know what? I do love her. I do want to get married to her. During that whole year of engagement... It would be like her and myself were husband and wife, but we could not have sex together and we would not live together. You see? Even though we were called husband and wife. The trial would come after a year of engagement where I would say, yes, I love her. And she would say, I love him. And then we would have a ceremony And we would get married legally according to the law. And the actual marriage would last seven days. Imagine that. Seven days. 
But something interesting, after seven days of eating and drinking and partying, all of a sudden the wife and the husband would go into their tent or into their house. And what would happen is they would go into the house and the father and the mother of both couples would go into the house and they would give the husband and wife, the young married, a sheet. And they would have to lay the sheet in the bed. And in their consummation of the marriage, legally according to the Jews, after they would have sex together in the first night of their marriage, they would have to the next day bring the sheet out, and the sheet would have to have blood to show that she was a virgin. And if there was no blood, guess what? He could complain and say she's been messing around, and she would be tried, and she would be stoned to death. According to the law of God. Imagine that. Hey, you talk about celibacy. You talk about keeping pure. Can you imagine if today you would have to prove every marriage? There'd be a lot of stoning today. (laughs) Thank God for His grace. For His love and His mercies. But you can get the picture as you look deep into the life of Christ and the kind of pressure that these men and women were put on by the parents. Well, here is the picture now as Jesus Christ now is going to be born. Let's read the story in chapter 1 beginning with verse 18 to 25. He says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was engaged to Joseph... Before they came together, that is before they had sex together, before they came together sexually as husband and wife. And it says this, And she was found with a child of the Holy Spirit. Notice how clear the scripture is. It wasn't Joseph's baby. Whose baby was it? It was God's baby. Notice that. And then Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, And not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought on these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary to be your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, Jehovah Yeshua, which means God is salvation. For he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, saying, Isaiah chapter 7, 14. Behold, the virgin shall be with a child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. God is with us. A title of what? Of deity that he is God, incarnate in the flesh. Which is translated, God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took him his wife. And did not know her sexually until she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus.
If you've never received Jesus' gift of forgiveness and eternal life, we encourage you to go to the Lord in prayer right now, believing His Word, turning from your sins, and following Him in humble obedience. You're listening to Somebody Loves You Radio with Raul Reese. If you'd like to review today's message, we'll send you a complete copy for a gift of $5 or more. Our phone number is 800-634-9165. And today's lesson was titled, Jesus the Savior. We'd also like to tell you about a resource that may help answer any questions you still have about surrendering your life to God. Titled, Salvation, this four-message audio series from Rawl outlines why every person needs a Savior and why Jesus is the only one who could fill that role. You'll also learn more about God's desire that every person receive Christ as Savior. Don't wait. Visit SomebodyLovesYou.com or call 800-634-9165 and ask for Rawls' Salvation Audio Pack. We'll send you this four-CD collection for a gift of $18 or more. Once again, that's 800-634-9165. Our mailing address, if you'd like to order by sending a check, is Somebody Loves You Radio, P.O. Box 4440, Diamond Bar, California, 91765. Be sure to join Rawl on his YouTube channel every Tuesday at 10 a.m. West Coast time for Straight Talk, a Q&A program with guidance for a God-honoring life. Every one of these programs has also been archived for you to download as a podcast using Spotify or iTunes. And if you'd like someone to pray with you about beginning a lifelong walk with Jesus, don't hesitate to contact us. We'd love to help you take those first steps in relationship with Jesus Christ. This ministry is a listener-supported gospel outreach. Thanks so much for partnering with us. Your donations are a great blessing, and every contribution is tax-deductible. We hope you'll join us again next time for more biblical encouragement as you seek to grow in your understanding of who God is and what He desires for your life. This program is sponsored by Somebody Loves You Radio in Diamond Bar, California.